Hello and welcome to Grace Church Vienna. A few weeks ago on February 26th, Dave spoke about the first 12 verses of 1 Thessalonians 2. Today he will continue with the second half of this chapter where we see that the church in Thessalonica not only was praised for doing well, but was also undergoing persecution. Learning from the church, do we welcome God's word not as human message, but as what it is? And how is God's word energizing and changing us? Well, join us now for this sermon, The Engine of a Christian. So, maybe just like some of you, I'm not always on time. Um, and recently, I discovered something that helps me. And that is in Vienna right now, you find a lot of those scooters around that you can rent, right? And so if you're late, they're basically just like walking but faster. And so the good thing is you can leave home later and grab a scooter and then still arrive late. So that's the good thing about it. But I don't know if that has ever happened to me, and that is kind of my biggest fear. They're not always reliable. Um, maybe it's just the brand that I have because you need a different app for everyone. I just have one app. But the one that I use, they're not always reliable because every now and then it happens. You press the button and for one reason or another, it doesn't work. Or sometimes you press the button to speed up and for some reason the engine stops. And so my biggest fear is that one time I would be on a big uh, crossing, street crossing, and for some reason it would stop. Um, because it has happened to me more than once that just out of, all of a sudden they stopped for no reason. I don't know why. Um, and so the thing is, what I'm worried about is because, of course, they're not your own scooters. What I'm worried about is that for some reason the engine would stop and the thing wouldn't move forward anymore. And so one thing that kept me thinking is for us as a Christian or for us as Christians, what is the engine that kind of keeps us moving forward. And this is, will be something that we talk about today. Um, I'm going to read from First Thessalonians 2, um, the verses 13 to 20, and I'm reading from the um, Christian Standard Bible. This is why we constantly thank God, because when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you welcomed it not as, human, not as a human message, but as it truly is the word of God, which, is all, which also works effectively in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, since you have also suffered the same things from people of your own country, just as they did from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and persecuted us. They displease God and are hostile to everyone, by keeping us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. As a result, they are constantly filling up their sins to the limit, and wrath has overtaken them at last. But as for you, brothers and sisters, after we were forced to leave you for a short time, in person, not in heart, we greatly desired and made every effort to return <coughs> and see you face to face. So we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For who is our hope or joy or crown of boasting in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and as your word. And I'll pray in the beginning. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you um, for the 
verses that were written to the church in, in Thessalonica back then, but also verses that are written for us here in Vienna, Lord. I pray that they um, would work in us and through us, Lord. I would pray that they energize us and that they um, keep us as Christians, keep us moving forward. Thank you, Lord, that you gave us the Holy Spirit who is there to help us understand your word. And I know that he's there today um, to guide us. Um, Lord, I also pray uh, that each and every one of us would be encouraged in this service. Amen. So to catch up a little bit, um, the book of Ephesians um, was a letter that was written by Paul to the church. Uh, sorry, the book of Thessalonica uh, was a, uh, a letter that was written to the church in Thessalonica. Um, and it was during Paul's second missionary journey. So he um, was sent out uh, to go and evangelize. He went through Turkey, and then he's, if we read in, in Acts chapters 15, 16, 17, we read that the Holy Spirit guided them to Europe. Uh, and then they came to Europe, to Macedonia at the time, um, and they started evangelizing. So they spoke predominantly to the Jews. People got saved, but what they encountered was a lot of persecution. Um, they did some incredible things. They saw God do miracles. We read about a woman that was saved from a demon, but all that led to them being kicked out of basically every city they visited. And then one of the first cities that they came to was one particular city that was Thessalonica or Thessaloniki, whatever name you prefer. And Paul only stayed for three weeks, and then they were kicked out of the city again. But those, during those three weeks, um, a lot of people got saved and a church was formed. And that was um, the starting and founding church um, there in this area. And so later on, we read that Paul and Silas and Timothy and probably also Luke. Luke is the writer of Acts because every now and then he writes to we. That's how we know that he was there also. They traveled to Athens, but they were worried about one thing, and that is this small church in Thessalonica because... They didn't know what would happen to them after they left, just after three weeks. And so, um, because they couldn't go there personally, um, Paul sent Timothy to go and encourage the church to train them, teach them, and prepare them what is lying, for what is lying ahead. And so, when Timothy came back, he brought back news about the church there. Um, and he had really good news. Uh, we read in the first two chapters um, that the church um, was very healthy church that the church became an example for all the area um, which is in in Macedonia today um, and that the church impacted and, and, and helped spread the gospel in this area and so as a response to the news that Timothy brought back Paul wrote this first letter to the Thessalonians so in chapter 1, Paul is praising this church for what it has become. He's thanking God for the work that he's doing and for what the church is. And then in chapter 2, we first half, we read about Paul. Um, and when he talks about the actions that he, um, the, that the actions um, about when, when he was there. He talks about how specifically to live among non-Christians, um, how to act as a Christian. Um, and he sets himself up as an example for the people around him. And today we want to talk about the second part of chapter 2, um, which is verses 13 to 20. And so this passage talks about three different topics. They're, um, they're not necessarily connected to each other, but they're all important for the church there. And so as it is a three 
passage, uh, a three-topic passage. Uh, my sermon also has three points, obviously. Um, that's what we do. And so I want to start with verse 13. And it says, This is why we constantly thank God, because when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as a human message, but as it truly is, the word of God, which also works effectively in you who believe. See, Paul talks about the word of God that they heard from them. So what is the word of God? For them at the time, it was not just the Old Testament, but it was also God speaking through Paul to them. It was God revealing himself to them um, through the missionaries who were there. Um, Many of the first uh, members of the church were Jews. They had the background of the Old Testament, but God spoke specifically to them about what it means, who Jesus is, and how Jesus fits in everything that they know about the Old Testament. And because of the teaching of Paul and Timothy and Silas, many of the people um, in Thessalonica listened to it, um, and the gospel changed them. And they knew that what they heard was truth. Um, Other people rejected it as simple nonsense, but the ones who believed, they accepted it and welcomed it as truth. So what about us? Do we welcome God's word in our lives? What about us this past week? When Just think about the last few days. Do we enjoy and welcome God's word in our lives? See, anyone who follows Christ knows deeply that God's word is truth. Some people might view it differently. Some people have maybe a view that the Bible is just a collection of wisdom. Um, And if you believe that the Bible is just a collection of wisdom, then one question remains, and that is, um, what actually is the Bible? If the Bible is just a collection of wisdom, the question is, is the Bible just human words, or is the Bible truly from God? Because when we look at the claims of the Bible, the claims of the Bible are quite outrageous. Um, And if they weren't true, then this collection of wisdom would not make so much sense. See, the Bible talks about a curse for anyone that adds to it or takes away from it. It basically says anyone that adds one more wisdom, so to say, um, that they should be... um, that they should uh, receive all the curses that the Bible talks about. And it also says that anyone who re- would remove just a little bit of the Bible, that they would be removed from the tree of life. But the Bible talks about more. It talks about God being the origin of all of it. Um, it says that before humans existed, there was God. So it says, in the beginning, God created. And so the Bible starts with God. And it says that before anything was God was, and therefore God is above any human, above anything that we experience. And it also means that because God is above and before anything, it also means that God's glory is more important than anything and anyone. So this is what the Bible claims. And so in a way, if we believe that this is just some wisdom literature, maybe we should rethink that. But for us, for many of us who follow Christ, we, we don't view the Bible as just some wisdom, some ancient wisdom, but we believe that the Bible is actually God's word um, that is spoken to us. That was spoken, first of all, to the people present at the time, but also to every follower of Christ throughout history. 
And so for us, the question remains is, do we welcome God's word into our lives? Not just do we like it, is it okay for us, do we believe it is true, but on a daily basis or on a weekly basis, do we welcome God's word in our lives? See, what we read here, it says um, that they welcomed it, not just as human message, but as it truly is the word of God. Some translations they use, they accepted it. Sometimes they use, they received it. Um, but it all points back to the same thing, which means literally that somebody welcomes somebody else into their house. And so to speak for us as Christians, do we welcome the Bible, um, God's word, into our lives, into our house? So when we think about God... Um, the question is, do we view God's word, I would say, similar to a little child that is expecting to receive great gifts from their parents? I don't know if you've ever seen a child that, that when, when it's their birthday, right? You just hold out your arms, and then everyone puts in presents, right? You have big arms, and you can carry a lot of presents. So if it's your big day, you get a lot of questions. And so I wonder if we as Christians, do we walk around like that, just receiving all of God's word? Every day, everything, we get more and more and more. Um, it's nice to think like that, and I hope that we get there. Um, but the question is, on a daily basis, do we receive God's word? Not really one time, not just last time the Bible really changed me, not just um, this sermon, sermon really changed me, but regularly. And Why? Because we read that it works effectively in you who believe. Um, that is still in, in the second part of verse 14. Um, the Bible, God's word, is at work effectively in us who believe. So what does that mean? See, the, work, the, the word for work effectively, um, sometimes it's just translated as simply work. It means in Greek, it means energio, which means to energize. This is where we get our English word energize from. Um, or energy, which means something is active, something is active inside of a person. And so the question is, is God's word active inside of us? Is God's word changing us? Is God's word um, moving us forward? And so similar maybe to a scooter, um, if the energy stops, the scooter does not move for much longer. And in the same way for us as Christians, if we don't receive God's word in, we, this process of changing will not continue. And so um, energy does not here just mean energy to do something. It does not mean like having more energy, being happy, or not being depressed. It doesn't talk about that, but it talks about the energy of saving, uh, of changing a person. And this is what we're called to do, and this is what God wants to do. He wants to continually change us into the person uh, that he created us to be. And so, what is the engine of a Christian, the, the thing that changes us, works in us? It's God's Word that is active inside of us. And there's another thing in this first, um, in this first verse already, and that is Paul says, we constantly thank God. This is how he started. We constantly thank God. Because when you receive the Word of God, um, you accepted it as the word of God. And so he thanks God for what God has done among the Thessalonians. See, Paul 
um, Paul, not just him, Paul and Silas and Timothy were there, Luke were there, maybe some others that we don't read about every now and then, people have mentioned. But they were missionaries, so to speak, in this area. They helped plant the church, they helped bring people to Christ. Um, and so after they had left, they were constantly thanking God for what he has done in this church. And so the same way we as Christians were called and we, we can be thankful for what God is doing inside of our church, but also inside of other churches here in Vienna. So let's look at the um, second part, you know, verses 14 uh, to 16. See, Paul talks about a very challenging topic here. Um, one topic that we as Christians probably don't like to talk about much and that is persecution. It says here, For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, since you have also suffered the same things from people of your own country, just as they did from the Jews. See, it was that the church in Thessalonica was a new church. It existed only for a year, maybe, maybe a little bit less, but around that time, a few, a few months but they already faced persecution. In fact, they faced persecution as early as three weeks into their existence um, when, when the missionaries were kicked out of the city and were persecuted. Of course, that also affected the new Christians in this town. But Paul connects their situation to the situation in Jerusalem. He says, hey, you have been persecuted as a church, but look at other churches. If you look back to the church in Jerusalem, they were persecuted in the same way. In fact, almost every city a church started in, in this time when we read through the book of Zens, almost every church that started faced persecution, um, both from, from the Jews and from the Gentiles, sometimes from the Roman rulers, sometimes from the Greek rulers. Anywhere a church started, they always faced persecution. It was only after a few hundred years um, that deciding to follow, for the first few hundred years, it always meant that deciding to follow Christ um, meant a hard life. And then only after a few hundred years, when Christianity became the main religion, did it change. And so we sometimes forget that actively following Christ means facing Opposition. Maybe if you come from other parts of the world, you, you know this. Um, churches around the world are sometimes persecuted. Um, if you look at the Open Doors um, publication every year, they, they show where Christians face the most persecution. And, and just as a side note, we, Austria is not the area where we face the most persecution. Um, but actually in, in a lot of areas in the world, it's hard for us as Christians. But maybe you also feel that here in where we live, in Europe, where you live, maybe um, you can see that also you feel some of the opposition, people make fun of you, um, people question your sanity, maybe your family, your work colleagues, sometimes they can be neighbors or friends. Um, but what this passage shows us, that this opposition that we face and this maybe, I wouldn't call it persecution in Austria, but at least this opposition that we face unites us with the churches back then, with the churches in Jerusalem, with the churches in Thessalonica, and a lot of other churches. And so it's, it's, it's 
common and it's normal for us as Christians to feel persecution. Um, important thing is that we uh, only should only first face persecution um, because we're Christians, not because you mess up. That's then that's on you. But also, I want to highlight two things in in this passage, and that is, it says um, they became imitators of God's churches in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. And so I think those are two important things, because Paul could have just said, um, you became imitators of the church in Judea. Would have made sense. They would have completely understood it, became imitators of the church in Judea. But he specifically adds two things, and that is, became imitators, first of all, of God's churches in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. So he adds two things, and that is that these churches are, first of all, God's churches. If somebody persecutes the church, it's not their church that somebody is attacking, but it is God's church that they are attacking. And the second thing is that the church is secure in Christ Jesus. Um, And so when we face opposition, maybe when we face pushbacks, when it's hard for us, we can be assured of two things. First of all, that we are God's. We're God's people. We're God's church. And then second, second thing is that we are in Christ Jesus. And then the next verses might sound a little bit anti-Semitic. But keep in mind, it's Paul writing. Um, and he says then in verse 15, The Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and persecuted us, they displease God and are hostile to everyone by keeping us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. As a result, they're constantly filling up their sins to the limit, and wrath has overtaken them at last. He's basically saying that they are the greatest enemies to the gospel. He, he starts with they killed Jesus, they killed the prophets, and now they're persecuting us. And I mean, who should know better than him? Because in the beginning, Paul was the one who persecuted Jesus. He persecuted all the Christians. And now he is the one that is being persecuted. And he was also the one that, uh, I mean, that the one that traveled to um, Damascus, the one that traveled to prevent it from spreading. So he knows because of his own experience and because he did it himself. And it says here, on the one hand, they oppose God. Um, So on the one hand, they oppose God and how he revealed himself. But on the other hand, they also oppose any spreading of the good news. So not just that they would, uh, would not listen to God and would not listen to what Jesus said, but on the other hand, um, they also persecuted anyone who would wanted to spread the gospel, spread the gospel to the non-Christians. So why would they do that? Because in some way they were Jews, so they were um, used to the idea that only they are God's chosen people, that only they are the ones that are being saved. And if anyone wants to be saved, he would have to become a Jew first. And so for them, the idea that somebody else um, was in God's focus is something they could not bear. And so instead of repenting and coming to God and changing their, um, their attitude, instead of doing that, they did the very opposite. Um, they hindered anybody else who wanted to do that. And not just that, but they persecuted and killed him. And so Paul is very drastic here. He says, 
they are constantly filling up their sins to the limit. So what it talks about is that um, they continue to sin um, and they're filling up their sin to the limits. They started persecuting the prophets throughout the whole testament. Um, um, he's he's holding the Jews as collectively as a as a um, as a nation responsible for that, which culminated in persecution of Jesus and the killing of Jesus, and then it is it continues with the persecution of the Christians. And Paul says they pile up their sins, but it doesn't affect them. Uh, but it does affect them, and the wrath corrupts them. So when you look at, uh, at the Jews at the time of Jesus, um, they were so occupied with, um, with uh, um, criticizing and, and killing Jesus that they did not focus on anything else at the time. They were called, um, the, the, uh, the, the priests at the time were called to teach the people, but instead of teaching the people, what they were doing was simply um, attacking Jesus and killing him and not focusing on what they were called to do, which is training and equipping the Jews at the time. Now, nowadays we we don't see much of this opposition anymore. I guess um, here in Austria uh, we we don't see any of that. Um, but still, as Christians, we do face oppositions, not from Jews here in Austria, but maybe from other people around, maybe from our friends who think that what we believe in does not make sense. Maybe it's from our families, from work colleagues. Um, but, uh, but we do see some more and more pushbacks here also in Austria. And sometimes we might be discouraged when we see this development, um, but I think um, it's a good thing because whenever throughout history we see opposition to churches, whenever we see persecution, uh, no matter whether it was in, in, in China or, or in Europe or anywhere else, whenever there is a lot of opposition, Actually, what happens is that the churches grow. Um, and so maybe for that, some pushback in Austria would also be a good thing. So let's look at the third part here. And that is Paul's desire to see the church in Thessalonica. I mean, if we read that, um, let, let me read it first. But as for us, brothers and sisters, after we were forced to leave you for a short time in person, but not in heart, we greatly desired and made every effort to return and see you face to face. So we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For who is our hope, our joy, or crown of boasting in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Isn't it amazing to see the connection that Paul and the others, because it talks about us, isn't it amazing to see the connection that they have between them and the church that they planted. They were there only for three weeks. So think about that. They were there for three weeks. They went to Athens, probably to Corinth. So probably he wrote this letter from Corinth about a year later, and he still, still feels this connection um, to the church that they helped start. And they talk about how much they long to see them in person. See, they were new church, uh, and they were there only for a few weeks to help start this church. Um, and they were a new church with new believers. They had a lot of challenges, um, but they still had a lot to learn. And when we see in the later chapters, he instructs them on, on many things that obviously did not work so well in this church. Um, but the church was alive and active, and so they longed to see the church 
and helped encourage them. And, and because Paul couldn't come there in person, he wrote this letter. And then he says that Satan hindered them. See, whenever, whenever God is at work, Satan hinders them. We don't know specifically what Satan did. doesn't talk about it. doesn't talk about it in the book of Acts. Um, but we know one thing that Paul would not use this word lightly. Um, not like some people nowadays. So like whenever something doesn't go the way they want it to go, they say Satan does something. doesn't always have to be Satan. But Paul, he knew what were his own thoughts and what was um, the Holy Spirit um, directing him to do things. So when he says um, that for whatever reason Satan hindered them, we know that it really was Satan hindering him. And so they longed to see this church and train this church and be with this church because they helped plant it. It also talks about one thing at the end, and that is that this church is their crown. See, um, this church is a testimony of their faithful serving. Um, Some other churches, they had a lot of trouble. They stayed a long time in Corinth, and we read about a lot of troubles that they had in Corinth. Um, And also that church in Corinth is a testimony to their faithfulness. Um, But this church in Thessalonica was also a testimony to their faithful service. And this church is also something that lasts into eternity. See, when we think about, um, about eternity, about us being with God um, forever, uh, we will see other Christians, we will see other churches. And what a joy is it. Like he says, you are our joy, in, in, and you are our joy, our crown of boasting in the presence of our Lord. What a joy is it, and will it be one time when we are before God and we can see other Christians that were saved because of the work that we did, because of the work that our church did, and because of the gifts that we invested into doing that. And so, um, let me kind of recap what we had here, and then we'll, we'll do something unique afterwards. See, first of all, this passage tells us one thing, and that is that God's Word is active in all of us. And God's Word is the energy that kind of changes us, moves us forward, um, and, and, and forms us into the people that God wants us to be. And the question for us is, every day, every week, every month, do we welcome God's Word in? Because welcoming God's Word in is not something that you do one time, but it's something that you do um, as a continual thing, um, because it continuously changes you. And the second thing that we read in this passage is that suffering is just part of the deal of being a Christian. Um, this life is short. Sometimes it feels really long and really hard. But being a Christian is, uh, throughout the Bible, always connected to suffering. Um, and one thing that we can know and that we can rest in, that the church is God's church, that he cares about it, and that we are safe and secure in Christ Jesus. And the third thing that we read in this passage is that we will have um, eternal glory one day when we're with God and we can see the results of our hard work. Um, The results might be planting a church, like we will do, um, or something else. Um, But our work here has a reward in eternity. And so for today, um, as you probably know, uh, this will be the last service that we have as 
Chesu Grace Church for a really long time because starting next week in April and um, May, we will uh, meet together with B1 Church in the evening, and then June, July, August, we'll meet back here in Grace Church. Um, so for the next few months, um, both of our churches will have combined services. And so uh, what we plan in the future and, and uh, what we want to do today now is we want to have some prayer time to pray for this new chapter of Grace Church, but also to pray for what is starting and beginning. And so um, just to catch you up, if you haven't been there last week, um, Grace Church, Be One Church, we've been talking for many, many months now already. We've had services together, and what we decided is we wanted to combine efforts um, because we're both international churches. We're both in the same district, and we want to see people get saved in Vienna. We want to have an international church, especially for people that speak English, that come from an international background. Um, and so we are very similar in that. And what we said, what we want to do is um, we want to f- build a new church, uh, which means out of uh, Grace Church and B1 Church and some people from other churches, we want to form and plant a completely new church. Um, and so what I would like to invite you today, we form some, some small circles, four, five, six people, and we pray for that. We pray for the new church that will start, even though none of us have an idea what it looks like. None of us have an idea when exactly we'll start, but we already pray for what is about to start. Um, and so we'll do that for the next five minutes, and then uh, we'll close the service, we'll get some coffee, um, and then we'll come back in and talk about the specifics. So if you've come, been coming to Grace Church regularly, you feel connected to the church, you're invited to join us afterwards, and we'll talk about what that means for us specifically. Um, um, but let's just form circles and pray um, for this new church that's going to start. <clears throat>